This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. So a couple weeks ago, we started a talk on spiritual warfare. Say it with me, spiritual warfare. And I recognize and realize as a pastor here in this church that uh, it had been a couple years since we'd actually done a, a real, decent, intentional talk on spiritual warfare. I know that throughout most of my preaching and teaching, I'll reference things that are going on in the spirit realm, but I, I realized that we actually hadn't done a, a serious talk on spiritual warfare. And I felt like the Lord, through the power of the spirit, was kind of leading us into some things. With everything that's going on in the world right now, I made the comment that, that the battle that we see it playing out in the physical is actually as a result of what's going on in the supernatural what's going on as a result of the unseen realm. And we talked about this idea and this concept in part one of what I was calling winning the spiritual battle. And we looked at the origin of the demonic. We looked at the Hebrew understanding of the demonic and what Jesus refers to as unclean spirits, which oftentimes get translated as demons, but that actually have some specific origins and some things that have been going on for thousands upon thousands of years. And I talked about how in this day, Jesus doesn't want us to be unprepared. He wants us to be sober-minded and alert, sober-minded and alert. Uh, the translation says vigilant, one of the translations does. And so this idea is that God wants us to be in our right mind. How many of you guys know, for those of you that have been following Jesus for a while, that he wants you to have the mind of Christ for your life. He wants you to have wisdom for your life. He wants you to have sound thinking for your life. The Bible tells us that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind or disciplined thoughts self-control. He wants us to be in our right minds. And so part of that desire that God has for our life is that we would not be lulled to sleep by the spirit of the age that right now is working and operating in and through our culture and in and through entertainment, in and through our government, in and through the world and in and through the unseen realm. And he wants us to be awake so that we can wage war the way that Jesus has actually called and equipped us to wage war. So if you're, you're new to following Jesus today, you've come on a great day. We're gonna have some fun. We're gonna talk about some interesting stuff today. But in a couple days time, it's actually gonna be Halloween. How many of you guys know that living here in Halloween or living here in Utah, Halloween's kind of next level? Like people really go bananas for Halloween in Utah. For some reason, it's like their favorite holiday, most people's favorite holiday. But there's something about this time of year. And if you've lived here for a while, you recognize that for some people, this is like their moment. This is like when they get to like fly their freak flag a little bit higher than usual. And more than just Halloween though, I, I think there is this, this fascination that our culture has with evil and with the demonic and with these unclean spirits that Jesus talks about and, and addresses and deals with all throughout the gospels. We see it right now in the movies that are being promoted in our culture. There's a movie out right now called Talk To Me. It's a popular cult film by two Australian filmmakers. And the movie is all about this, this group of young people that are learning how to commune with unclean spirits through touching this dead hand. I want you to listen to the caption from this movie. I went on imdb.com and got this right off the website, but it says this. When a group of friends discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand, they become hooked on this new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. It sounds a lot like our culture right now. People hooked on a thrill that have gone too far, that have opened their lives up to things that are supernatural in nature, that are, that are evil in nature. And so today we're gonna talk a little bit 
about evil. And to begin, I want to begin where Scripture begins, or at least as we see Paul begin in the New Testament with his church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 through 16. Here's what it says, and it'll be on the screen for you. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore walk as children of light. Say children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that these people do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Okay, that's, that's what the Bible says, that's what Paul says, that's what the Holy Spirit says about the world that we're living in right now, and the days are evil. Anybody agree with me that what we're seeing happen all throughout the earth, in Ukraine, in Iran, in Israel, the conflicts that are happening and being waged all across the planet are evil in nature. When people are captured and held hostage and murdered and tortured and raped and maimed, that's evil. That's not political. That's not racial. That's not economic. It's evil. And so we need to understand this, that as the people of God, God has called us to walk as children of light. To therefore be careful, he says, of the way that we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody that's wise today, anybody that wants some wisdom for their life today. This is what God wants for our lives. Now, some people might say to me, you know, but Pastor Jason, you know, witchcraft, that's not a big deal. You know, magic is no big deal. Messing around with evil is kind of fun. Or how about this one? Oh, but, but all my friends are really into this right now. My response is the same as Paul's here. Take no part. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darknesses. Friends, when God says no part, he means no part. He doesn't say, ah, oh, just in October it's okay. Ah, oh, just when you feel like it. He says no part. And then he goes on to say, and be careful. Church, we gotta be careful right now what we align our lives with. The sound of our culture and what we see all around us is trying to bring us into alignment with its death grip. And that's not what Christ has for us. That's why he says, awake, O you who sleep, and let Christ shine on you. May this church be a church that boldly and courageously pursues the light of Christ, that walks as children of light, that is not unwise but wise so that we can be not products of our culture, but so that we can be prophets to our culture. So that when we speak, that we actually have something to say. So that when we pray, we actually see God move, amen? That's our heartbeat, that's what we want. And the truth is this, and wisdom tells us this, you might be playing around with things you don't even understand. Half the time when I work with people or we pray with people or we, we get into a ministry of deliverance, it's usually because people have opened themselves up to things they do not understand. They've played around with evil and these unclean spirits are sinister. We, we gave kind of a, a really great overview of what they do and how they operate in our lives when the door is open to them. They're sinister and they, they would love to absolutely have influence in your life and in my life. Two weeks ago, I spoke on how we, we push back against these forks, forces of darkness. And as 
those that live in the light, how we're called to fight and win the spiritual battle in our lives. So as courageous followers of Jesus, this is our inheritance. Our inheritance is to walk in the light as he is in the light. Amen. And so how do we do that? I'm going to make things a little more practical for us today in a part two to this message. And we're going to jump into this uh, a little more specifically today. Are you with me? All right. So the question I want to, I want us to wrestle with is how do I, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, how do I win the spiritual battle in my everyday life? How do I do that practically? If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Acts. We're going to pick up where we left off. We've been in this series called Wind and Fire, looking at the uprising of the church in the book of Acts and talking about this extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not just as something that happened then, but as as, as something that God wants for us now and even today as we speak. Go to Acts chapter eight. We're going to begin right there in verse nine. Picking up where we left off, it says this, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and he amazed all the people of Samaria saying that he himself was somebody great. It's interesting to me that the minute that people begin to operate with this demonic power, this influence in their life, it always causes them to point people to themselves. Look how good I am, look how great I am, look how awesome I am. So before we we dive any further, I wanna define a couple of terms here that we see right at the outset of this story. We know that the apostles have been working their way all throughout uh, Jerusalem, and then now they've moved into Samaria, which is actually what Jesus called them to do in fulfilling the Great Commission. And here they are in Samaria, and they encounter this man named Simon the Magician, or sometimes some of your translations might say Simon the Sorcerer, and he's practicing magic, and the people are amazed. But let's look at some of these terms, because I think it's really important for some things that are happening beneath the surface. Defining some terms, the Greek word for magic used here in this passage is the word maguo, which means sorcery. And it comes from the Greek word magos, which is actually derived from a Babylonian word called rabmog. Rabmog was a foreign or Babylonian word, which means soothsayer or magician or sorcerer. We actually see it show up in our Bibles in Jeremiah 39, verse three, real quickly, it says this, then all the officials of the king of Babylon came together and they sat in the middle gate. Nergal Sar Ezer of Samgar, Nebu Sar Sakim, the Rabsaris, Nergal Sar Ezer, the Rabmag, with all the rest of the officers of the king of Babylon. That's a lot of words to try to pronounce correctly too, by the way. But do you see this term here? It's the first place in the Bible where we see this term rabmag, which means sorcerer or conjurer of spirits. So Simon here in the book of Acts, many years later, is actually operating as a magician in the tradition of these Babylonian witches and soothsayers enlisted in Nebuchadnezzar's court, which is really fascinating to me. And there's a showdown that's about to occur that has just occurred. And Simon, who's been operating under this power and influence of the evil one, he's mesmerizing people so much so that they begin to actually buy into the hype. They begin to call him great. Let's pick up with verse 10, Acts 8, 10. Then they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this is the man that is the power of God that is called great. Isn't that interesting? And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. 
But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So this showdown unfolds and Simon's practicing his magic and his witchcraft and his sorcery. And then the apostles come into town and they start proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. They start declaring the name of Jesus. People are getting saved. There's signs and miracles happening. All these wonderful things are taking place. And they show up declaring the true power of the only great God, the true great God. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And what happens? All these wonderful things start breaking out among them. I wonder kind of where we've seen this kind of showdown before. Oh, that's right, Exodus 7. Let's go there real fast. Exodus 7. We see it with Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by working a miracle, then you shall say to your brother Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron, excuse me, cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, this was their official title, also did the same thing by their secret dark arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. This is amazing to me. So here you have two parties operating under power. One in the tradition of the soothsayers and witches of Babylon. And then here in Exodus with Pharaoh, we see all these Egyptian magicians and they're performing their feats. And and the Bible doesn't say actually that they were just um, performing tricks or that there was, you know, like misdirection, but that these things actually were happening. Like their staffs actually became serpents. And so God says, okay, I've got no problem with a showdown. You, why don't you show down and why don't you throw down your staff and we'll see what happens. And of course he does this and his staff becomes a serpent and devours all the other ones. This is amazing reality for us that though the magicians and the soothsayers, the witches, had some power. God's power was greater. And I want to say that in this house today, that no matter what you face or what you fear or what you see happen in the world as it continues to unfold, we serve the power of the greater one. We serve the Holy Spirit, which is the greatest spirit of all. Now back to the apostles, Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, What did they do? They sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands or through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power as well so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't it curious that upon seeing Philip minister under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit, that Simon's first instinct was, I want that too. I want that too. Give me that power also, he says. Simon's issue was that he worshiped power. He was mesmerized by power. 
And as someone who spent a lot of time practicing these dark arts, he worshiped and pursued power. The truth is what you are mesmerized by, you will always worship and pursue. Let me say it again for those of you in the back. What you are mesmerized by, you will always worship and pursue. Despite the fact that here we see Simon believe and actually be baptized, he was still worshiping at the wrong altar. Last week we talked about the, or two weeks ago, we talked about the power of altars, places of worship, places that are, that are physical representations of, of ways in which we surrender to God and align our lives with him through prayer and worship. And Simon's problem wasn't that he wasn't able to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. It says he believed. His problem wasn't that he, was, that he went into the tank of baptism like we did with, with Phil and a couple others last couple weeks ago. He did that too. His problem is that his heart was still pursuing the wrong things. What are you saying, Pastor Jason? Are you saying that you can be a Christian and a believer and still have a heart problem? Yes, I am saying that. Are you saying that you can still say, Jesus save me, but still worship at the wrong altar? Yes, I'm saying that. Are you saying that you can still be saved, but not yet delivered? Yes, I am saying that today. So let's look at what James chapter two, verse 19 says. Hey, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is a God. Good for you, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Friends, you can say all the right things, you can do all the right things, you can, even like the demons, believe, and like Simon, even believe in God and be baptized, but if you're still holding on to your worldly pursuit of power, or your worldly pursuit of success, or your worldly pursuit of fame, or your worldly pursuit of glory, you're gonna miss out on what God actually has and wants for your life. Now listen to Peter's response to Mr. Magic Man here, Acts chapter eight, verse 20. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, Simon, because you thought you could obtain this gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. As it turns out, what Simon was actually suffering from was a heart issue. And a heart issue always demands a heart response. We call this heart response repentance. That's the, the word we use. It's a biblical word. It means to change your mind and hence change your beliefs. It's to turn from facing one direction into moving in an entirely other direction, a new direction. Here's what he goes on to say in verse 22. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. You guys, repentance is critical to what God wants to do in our lives. We all need repentance, amen? And if we miss this and we try to simply just add God to our unrepentant lifestyle, we just try to add God to our busy lives, we just try to add a little God into our weekend routine, we end up actually missing out on God entirely and our hearts become infected by something far more sinister and twisted than we realize. Peter tells us exactly what that is in verse 23, the very next verse. For I see that you are still in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So Simon answered saying, pray for me to the, to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. You might say, or be saying, okay, Pastor Jay, like what does all this have to do with winning the spiritual battle? I believe that for many of us, the reason that we, we don't see or experience victory in our lives is because of these two things that we encounter right here in, in the scripture. Bitterness and iniquity. Bitterness and iniquity. Regarding this gall of bitterness. Gall is a, a bitter fluid that's secreted by the liver, okay? It's 
basically bile. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so when Peter says, you're still in the gall of bitterness, he's saying that your heart has been poisoned by bile. In other words, he's literally saying you're toxic, Simon. You're toxic. You ever, you ever been around any toxic people? And you're like, oh my gosh, they're just so toxic. I don't want to even spend time with them or be near them because everything they say is poisonous. Everything they say is venomous. Everything they say just hurts. It stings. It carries with it just this residue of resentment and, and anger. It's because they're toxic. One of the reasons I think that some of us get saved but never fully healed is because we're still toxic. We have bitterness operating in our hearts that hasn't been dealt with. And it's left an open door to the enemy to come in and to have influence in our lives, which means number one today, we must close the door to the enemy by removing bitterness from our lives. We gotta be willing to face this church. Well, how do you, how do you remove the bile of bitterness, Pastor Jay? The answer is actually simple, but it's not easy. Are you ready for it? Through forgiveness, through forgiveness. Forgiveness is like a healing oil that flushes your system. You know what happens when you have all these gallstones build up? All these toxins that have built up, they create these hard calcified deposits in your life. I'm not just talking about physically, but spiritually speaking. You need forgiveness to come and to flush out the gallstones, to remove the toxic waste, the, the bitterness from your body. And the truth is this, what we, what we often experience in the soul and in the body is connected. Would you guys agree with me that what happens sometimes in our souls affect our bodies and vice versa? Sometimes what happens to our bodies affects our soul. One of the lies that our culture says is that it's your body. You can do with it whatever you want. Well, the truth is what we do with our bodies matters because what we do with our bodies and the relationships we engage in and the things we, we align ourselves with absolutely affects our souls. It affects what happens in the realm of our souls, or as the psalmist would say, our hearts. Interestingly enough, in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, I'll put it up there, we learn something about this phenomenon, and there's kind of a prophetic warning here regarding bitterness. I want to touch on this just for a moment. It says this, and then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood, capital W, and then a third of the waters became Wormwood, lowercase w, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Wormwood is actually the name of a plant, for those of you that aren't familiar with it. It's actually... Uh, it's actually a bitter tasting extract that we derive from this plant called wormwood. It's actually also used in the concocting of spirits and alcohol, which I find interesting. In C.S. Lewis's uh, amazing book, The Screwtape Letters, wormwood is also the name of one of the demons who is assigned to corrupt humanity. Can I tell you something else? Bitterness will always corrupt your humanity. Bitterness will always corrupt your humanity. It will taint the waters of your soul, which is why Jesus calls us to be a people of forgiveness. Because forgiveness shuts the door to wormwood. It allows the living waters of the Spirit to freely flow and to cleanse our soul of all the bitter roots and all the invasive, toxic, working agents that try to come and take up residence in our lives. So let me ask you today, and let's make this personal who have you yet to forgive in your life? 
Let's think about that for a moment. <laughs> Somebody can play the Jeopardy song. Dun, dun, dun. Who have yet, you yet to forgive? What's holding you back from really forgiving them? What's holding you back? Sometimes we, we won't forgive because we think that in order to forgive, we have to excuse what that person did. Can I tell you that when Jesus went to the cross to forgive us of our sins, he didn't say, oh, it's all good, guys. <laughs> what you did was not an offense to me. It's fine, no big deal. Oh, don't worry about it. He didn't excuse our sin, he forgave our sin. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Because our sin was so grieving to the heart of God, because it was so offensive to the holiness and righteousness of a holy and righteous, perfect God, he came and forgave and became our sin, actually. He who knew no sin became our sin so that we could become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, amen? So far from excusing our sin, he deals with our sin and he does so by getting to the root of it, by applying forgiveness in our lives. Sometimes we won't forgive because we think that not only does that mean we have to somehow excuse their sin, but that somehow we have to relinquish power. Can I tell you that the true power of God will come upon your life when you're willing to finally let go and surrender to forgiveness. When you let him do in you what only his spirit can give you the power to do, which is to forgive. The problem with Simon was he was used to operating under a false power that gave him this sense of entitlement, that gave him this sense of, wow, look at me, I'm great, that gave him this sense of, look at me, everybody, look what I can do, and now he wants the real thing, but he can't have it because his heart's corrupted by bitterness. Bitterness corrupts, but the truth of God is this, God will work in us the power and the will to do this, to forgive people to relinquish our need for vengeance. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And when we do this, when we let go of our anger and our resentment, when we finally surrender to the spirit of Christ at work within us to both will and to do, we will experience sweet forgiveness. The cleansing flow of forgiveness in our life. Anybody want that? Just me today? Anybody, anybody want that for your life today? To better illustrate this point for you today, I want you to, to watch this clip from a gentleman that I had the pleasure of doing life and ministry with in Jackson Hole, Wyoming a few years ago. Let's go ahead and roll that clip and bring the lights down, Liam, thank you. My name is Ubard Rujirangoga. I am a Catholic priest from Rwanda, Central Africa. I have a vision to create a center of spirituality and healing in my country, which will be the center for the secret of peace. When I was five years old, I went with my mother to escape people who wanted to kill us. In 1963, at seven years old, my father was killed. I learned that he was killed because he was of the Tutsi ethnic group who were persecuted in Rwanda. Because of all the things that had happened to me and my suffering as a victim of ethnic hatred in Rwanda, I decided to become a priest and to preach love in Rwanda. 
1984, I was ordained a priest in the Changgu Diocese. I preached about love to my people for 10 years before the 1994 genocide began. I witnessed the genocide of the Tutsi people all over the Rwanda. By the grace of God, I miraculously escaped myself. The genocide has impacted Rwanda's people. My people do not have inner peace. The victims of the genocide are traumatized by what happened to them. The executioners of the genocide are also traumatized because of what they have done. I have preached for a long time that the only way to free people and heal them is through reconciliation and forgiveness or pardon. I have seen the fruit of this. Many people come to share their agony with me and because of this, a new vocation has been born within me. To listen to people, to evangelize, to speak about peace, reconciliation, forgiveness, and to pray for healing. So I had the pleasure of meeting Father Ubald years ago and was incredibly struck by the anointing of God that was on his life for healing and forgiveness. And when he came and ministered at our church, he came just to really pray for people that were sick. And it was amazing how many people came forward and got healed because they were willing to forgive. And sadly, during COVID-19, he died due to complications with it. But his life and his legacy has lived on. Tens of thousands of Rwandans who watched their families be slaughtered in the genocide that took place there in the 90s between the Tutsis and the Hutu peoples experienced forgiveness and were able to extend forgiveness. And even Father Ubald was able to look his father's killer in the face and forgive and see that person come to know Jesus, all because of the power of forgiveness. I wonder today who in our lives may we be struggling to forgive? Who may God be calling us to forgive as well? So number one, we have to close the door to the enemy by removing bitterness from our lives, and we do so through the power of forgiveness, amen? Number two, we must close the door to the enemy by breaking the bonds of iniquity. Peter in verse 23 mentions this bond of iniquity. Let's define some quick terms here. What is a bond? Simply understood, a bond is a tie that binds, that constricts two things together real tightly. And what is being bound? Your heart with its iniquity. In the Greek, the word iniquity is the word adakia, which means unrighteousness. But the Hebrew word for it is awan, and it means to twist the truth or to compromise a moral standard. Peter is literally saying to Simon, the sorcerer, this magician, you are literally tied up and twisted within your own heart, and you don't even realize it. 
like a, like a boa constrictor that just comes in so subtly and slowly begins to constrict and to tie and to twist and to distort around your life. Well, isn't that what the enemy does, church? He likes to come in like a friend. He comes slithering in like a friend, gently, begins to coil around your ankles when you're not aware begins to just slowly coil around your legs and your heart and begins to what? He just starts to slowly constrict until you can't breathe, to the oxygen of your spirit life is cut off. You're gasping for air and you don't know why. Well, the Bible tells us that he comes in masquerading as an angel of light, tries to trick us, tries to deceive us, tries to pretend that he's our friend. Didn't he do that in the garden? Hey there, friend. Did God really say? Whispering into the ears of Eve, he slowly tells you what you want to hear, begins to make promises that he'll never keep. Why? Because he's a liar. And actually, Jesus tells us he's the father of all lives. He's the father of every lie. And when we allow him to come in and to operate in our life through bitterness or through iniquity, he just starts to spin his web of lies that corrupt and distort and constrict and twist the truth in our lives until it's too late, until we're bound up in it and we're ready to be devoured, which is why we need someone stronger to come and to break the bonds of iniquity from off of our lives. Praise be to Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is that stronger man today, church. Regarding Jesus being the stronger man who comes to break the bonds of iniquity from our lives, Here's the story that he tells in Mark chapter 3, verse 22 through 27. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him, and he said to them, this being Jesus, he said to them, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one, I said no one, can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he does what? He first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Friends of God, can I tell you, Jesus has bound the strong man. He has plundered the enemy's house today. He's come in as one who is stronger than the strong man. And not only has he plundered the enemy's house and taken back what's been stolen from him, but he's also crushed in the enemy's skull. He's left his big heavenly boot print across the face of his skull. Come on, somebody. And as I said two weeks ago, make no mistake, the enemy has been defeated. He's limping around on his last leg, trying to lie, trying to steal, trying to cheat, trying to devour anyone he can because he knows that his time is short, that his days are limited. But make no mistake, Jesus, as the stronger man, will come again to deliver his final judgment and his final crushing blow. And he'll do so when he rounds up the enemy and his cohorts and casts them into that lake of fire at the end of the age to be heard from and seen again no more. What a day that will be. When we celebrate the coming of Jesus, we sing songs like we sang today, looking forward to his appearing. We're looking forward to the appearing of justice. We're looking forward to the appearing of the one who comes to make and wage war. 
The one who comes to deliver the final crushing blow against the enemy that plagues your life and mine from the time we come into this planet to the time we leave. That's something we should be looking forward to. That's something we should be celebrating, amen? But in the meantime, Jesus comes to each and every one of us, personally, individually, to break the bonds of iniquity off of our lives, to loose us from our captivity to things like sin, to things like death, to things like the devil, to literally rescue us from the strong man's house and to place us where? In the Father's house. How many are thankful that you've been brought out of darkness and into light, that you've been rescued from the enemy's house and brought into the Father's house today? I'm thankful. We know that he does this by going to the cross. Listen to Isaiah prophesying about what Jesus would come to do in this way. 53 verses four through six says this, surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, thank you Lord, and he was crushed for our iniquities, thank you Jesus, and upon him, meaning Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace and reconciliation and forgiveness and by his wounds we are healed. Because, verse six tells us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've gone our own way. Each one of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord, the Father, the creator of all, has laid upon him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. How are we thankful today that Jesus has taken on your iniquity? Not only did he break the bonds of your iniquity, but he paid the full price to take it on. The Father sought in his heart to take our iniquity, that twisting, distorted sense of corrupt moral character and nature that's not just sin or transgression, but that actually speaks to us being twisted within our hearts. And he takes that and he removes that from our lives and he places it on the son, the suffering servant, the lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sins of the world. I'm thankful today that Jesus has come in as a stronger one and plundered the enemy's house on my behalf, that he's plundered and taken back what the enemy stole from him and rightfully returned it to his father's possession. The Bible says that you and I are a holy possession. We are holy and his possession, a special people called out from darkness and brought into his kingdom of marvelous light. He did it for each and every one of us, for every person that would call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. What are you saying, Pastor Jason? I'm saying, turn to him. Put your faith in him. Put your hope in him. Trust in him. And the chain breaker will come and set you loose from your bonds of iniquity today. The chain breaker will come and bring sweet forgiveness and reconciliation into your life today. The chain breaker will come and do what only he can do through the power of wind and fire, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life today. Amen and amen. So how do we, how do we experience this this personal breakthrough, this freedom from bitterness and iniquity. Well, it's real simple. Here it is. You forgive others as Christ forgave you. You forgive those that are hardest to forgive. Some of you, you're like, man, I, I'm struggling with things because you still hold on to unforgiveness in your heart. Oftentimes before we'll pray for people, I always ask, is there anybody that you need to forgive? Is there anything that you're holding on to that you haven't forgiven? Can I encourage you today? Forgive those as Christ forgave you. And then you accept the full price of what he did at the cross. You accept the full price that he paid by going to Calvary on your behalf to break the bonds of iniquity off your life. You do this through repentance and through confession that Jesus is 
Lord, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, amen? So how do we win in our spiritual battle? This is how we win. We flush bitterness from our hearts and we let God come in and and free us from these bonds of iniquity. We trust him, we put our faith in him, we put our hope in him and we let him do what only he can do through the power of his spirit today. Anybody want that? Maybe you're watching this online, you're listening to this later in the week. You say, Pastor Jason, I, I don't have freedom operating in my life, but I want freedom today. Can I just tell you, cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus today. Put your faith in Jesus today. Put your hope in Jesus today. He's the only one that can set you free. As a reminder, he says this in John chapter eight, verse 36. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. God wants freedom for our lives, church. He wants us to walk in this every day, not just on the weekends, come on somebody, but each and every day. Do you believe that today? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.